Howdy, folks. Glad you're here. You should have been handed uh, the notes for this uh, afternoon. And if you'd grab those, we'll jump into the message here in just a second. I had two quick things that I wanted to do. My son, David, one of my twins, goes to Butler University. And if anybody was paying attention, sports fans this afternoon, Butler played number one Indiana in basketball and beat them in double overtime. Yes. Doesn't have anything to do with the message, but my kid goes there and I'm awful proud. So there you go. Um, folks, on a, on a much more serious note, um, I think that all of us in the last 24 hours probably have grieved in a really, um, um, it's an awful, awful tragedy back east. And I know that um, some folks have come going, just what a, what? What do we do? What, what's the answer to things like this? And you recognize that when you remove a moral compass from a nation, long term, the implications are that right and wrong can become so skewed in people's eyes and in their minds that it's not a simple answer of take away all the guns and everything will be okay. You know it's a much more complicated answer than that, don't you? You know that ultimately the answer is a heart change for a nation is what needs to happen. And I don't know about you, but our staff downstairs, we just took a few moments and we were just praying for our nation. I thought it would be, even though it is the Christmas season, even though we rejoice in what God is doing in our church, and I'll share a few of those things in just a, a few minutes, some of the miracles that we've just seen in the last week. Um, I just felt the great need to cry out for our nation. And I would just ask that you would join me in that for a few minutes. And would you do, you know, if you just can't, I get it. But I think that most of you probably can. Would you grab the hand of the person next to you and just agree for a moment with me as, as we pray right here? Father, we um, trite prayers are not what I want to sit up here and and give. God, it is from um, a place deep inside of my soul that I speak to you about what's happening, and it seems to be happening more and more and faster and faster inside of our country. God, I know that this is not some single issue, easy to fix plague, but I know that behind everything in it, Ultimately, the answer is you are needed. And God, I cry out for our nation. Perhaps one voice with just a couple of hundred people sitting here right now, but I think you hear that voice and you hear our hearts right now and you pay attention. The word tells us if my people call by my name, humble themselves and pray. If they seek my face, they turn from evil, then I will hear their prayers and I will heal their land. And if there was ever a time where a land needed to be healed, God, we're witnessing that time right now. And Father, I pray for healing for our land, for the soul of our country, God, knowing that the answer is Jesus, knowing that you are life and that you, God, alone, you're not a source of life. You are life. And our nation needs that life right now. 
God, this afternoon, I know sitting before you, it appeared to me that it could go one of two ways. It could spiral as a nation completely out of control and we could see stuff like this happen on an ongoing regular basis. Or God, it could be a place where people turn to you and we actually see revival in our country. And God, I would cry for revival in our country. God, I would cry that you would hear and that you would heal and that you would help. And I pray for our brothers and our sisters and those families. God, you are the God of all comfort. What other, what other possible prayer could we pray except that you comfort those families right now? God, as only you're able to. God, that you bring peace to where the enemy has terrorized children. Would you bring peace in that situation? And God, the word tells us what the enemy intends for evil, God is able to use for good. Would you trump the devil in this situation? Would you take away what he ultimately, God, wants to use to continually terrorize? Would you take that away? And would you, out of the darkness, bring light, bring hope, and bring help right now, God? Father, we have no place to turn except to you. Folks, listen to that. We have no place ultimately to turn except to God. But what an opportunity to turn to God. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers right now. We pray it with all sincerity and we pray it with hearts, God, very much believing that you care. And I pray it in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen with me. Amen. 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 Well, how do you segue from that into a message? It's not always easy, but in times of having to be real and in times of trying to address things, um, we don't want to ignore a situation like that and just act like nothing happened there. We want to be able to pray about that. And then at the same time, we want to be able to move into what God is doing here. I mentioned it's been a, um, you know, in the midst of 24 hours of a, of a terrible tragedy. To be honest with you, I've had this really weird comparison because I have had a week while some people would say, you know, it was a week from hell, I had a week from heaven in many ways. I started last week when I stood up and talked about uh, a healing that God did for me. And, and I know that maybe some of you are here, you came only to see your grandchildren. Mine were up here too. I very much enjoyed that. One of them was turning around trying to find herself on the screen <laughs> the entire time. And I thought, she gets that gene honestly, doesn't she? Yeah, she, you could tell the ones that will be weather people and, and television type people. They, they are, and then you'll, you'll tell the ones that will never, ever want to show their face in a crowd. You can see it at such a young age. I, I, I had a tremendous weekend that I stood up here last week and I was able to talk about something that God did for me that was unexpected, that it was, it was, it was triumph. I had, I had gone to Israel. We were shooting video for several projects that we're doing in 2013 here in the church. Uh, there's a series of messages that we wanted to go and, and shoot on location, use them as an aid in, uh, in our teaching on uh, several messages next year. We're taking a trip to Israel again next year in 2013, so we went to shoot some promotional material. And then uh, for Easter, uh, we, wanted to, um, we wanted to be on location and do some things that we thought would be very powerful for Easter in 2013. So we had this, uh, this really great trip that I was able to do. It was four people. It was uh, my wife, Chris, and I, and Pastor Terry, and um, uh, Pastor Terry's, uh, one, one of Terry's 
um, guys, Jeff, that works with him back in the audiovisual department. And we shot with two cameras. We had a great time. We were only there. We traveled a total of, um, it's about 17,000 miles round trip to be there for four nights. That's a long way to go for four nights. It was very packed. It was, it was a lot going on. But here's what happened in John chapter 5. Um, pick it up and read it. The very first part of the verse starts out that there is a uh, pool called Bethesda by the Sheep Gate. And it's one of the few places in Israel that you can go to that's an actual for fact Jesus was at this place. It's an archaeological discovery. It's still an archaeological dig. Uh, in the nine trips that I've made to Israel up until that trip, I had never been able to actually go down to the pool. This was my first time to be able to actually go down to the pool of Bethesda. You have to realize Israel is like any other ancient land. Uh, it has been conquered and built, conquered and built many times over the millennia. So that the actual days of Jesus, the Israel that you walk on today is about 50 feet higher than the Israel Jesus would have walked on. So anytime they dig and you're able to go down, you're going down into the past. And there's very few places in Israel where you can actually go where you know that, you know that Jesus was here. This is one of the places, it is a, it's a factual fact Christ was there. I had never been able to go down to that pool. A number of reasons it kept me from it. But this time, because we had film permits and because there was a, you remember the little skirmish that went on a couple of weeks ago? Uh, little skirmish, bombs going all over. Um, we, we got there and virtually nobody was there. Um, the smart ones stayed home. The crazy ones went over. And so um, while we were there, we had, we had Israel to ourselves, really. And I went down to the bottom of this pool. And Terry and I, uh, Terry had the camera. We walked all the way down to the bottom of it. We were shooting the video. I was just commenting on John chapter 5. No lightning flashed. No, no, I didn't get into the pool. Nothing happened. I just talked about a man who had been lame for 38 years. Christ comes upon the man and he asked the man, would you be made well? And the man doesn't say yes. Here's what he tells Jesus. He says, I have no one to help me in the water. And then the Bible makes a commentary. The rumor of the day was that an angel from the Lord would come from time to time and stir up the water. And the first one who got into the water would be healed. Now, some of the translations don't even include that part in it because they're not sure if it was a, a fact or rumor. They're not sure what it was exactly. So they cut that part out in some translation. Your Bible may not have that part where it says that the angel stirred up the water. But nonetheless, I comment on that. And here's what I said on tape. I said, sometimes we need to stir ourselves up like these waters were stirred up in order to take hold of the Lord. That's all I said. I turned around and I left there. Now I need to make a commentary then on that. For the past four years, I've suffered with a degenerative back issue, a, a sacroiliac where a nerve has been pinched and I've had to take heavy duty medications. I receive shots with needles literally this long in my back and I get them about every six months and it's cortisone. And the cortisone is a wonderful thing uh, as far as numbing it out. But the problem is it doesn't heal anything. It just allows you to keep functioning while your back continues to degenerate. Isn't that a wonder? You know, so so here's, here's the deal. I'm, I'm living with that. I'm putting up with that. Um, I'm praying for God's healing. I've had a lot of people pray for me, but I haven't seen that healing ever take place in my life. I, let me just ask the question. How many of you believe that God can heal? How many of you, though, have prayed and have not been healed? Be honest with me. So I've got this dual thing going on where I believe that God can do it, and yet I'm not experiencing that thing. So I, I'm down there. We have this experience. I, we shoot this video. We walk away from it. Nobody's prayed for me. No, nothing, nothing. How about this? God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. 
It is in very ordinary circumstances many times that you find God show up and do something. I walk away from this place. I go back to my hotel room. And instead of, of being in, in a lot of pain at the end of the day, I, I just have this realization, hey, my back's not hurting. That's weird. I go to bed. I wake up the next morning. My back's not hurting. That's weird. However, I did reason this. I do have heavy-duty medication. Maybe it's just working extraordinarily well. I get on an airplane, I fly 15 hours back to the United States. Normally, I have a 24-hour recoup period from that. I get off the airplane, and I'm like I'm 20 years old. I'm having a, I'm like, hey, this is great. I come home, three or four days goes by. I'm afraid to say what I think has happened because I don't want to say God did something and then it turned out not to be that way. But after a little while, I start getting bold. So I tell my wife, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you notice. She goes, yeah, you're like this brand new person. And I said, well, I think that the Lord has healed my back. And I brought with me the medication last week. And I had taken my medicine and I'm not recommending this. I, I just, this was my situation. I felt like the Lord had healed me. So I dumped my pain meds, heavy duty pain meds. There's two issues with that. If I'm wrong, I'm in trouble. But not only that, you know, at some level, you take them long enough, there's some type of a dependency there. Here's what I know God as. Not only a healer, but a deliverer. I didn't suffer one withdrawal. I had this mirror. No, wait, no, wait. So it gets good. So I shared this last week. And everybody who heard the message looked at me and said, you do, you, you, here's what they said. For, for four years, we didn't think you looked very good. <laughs> yes, how do you take that? How do you, I mean, what, do you, what, what, you know, sort of like, okay, I'll just take it at face value that, that you don't mean that in an ugly way. But for four years, you, you haven't looked very good. And all of a sudden, it's like you're a new person. So I share that. I am not exaggerating. I am not just up here talking right now. I have received well over 100 emails this week with folks who are testifying that God healed them last weekend. We just took time to pray for people. And so I had, one of them was a visitor, a woman who showed up here, who's un, completely unexpected, also had back problems, who told me four days after the service, there was no pain, but I was afraid to say anything. She said, I didn't want to, just like you, I didn't want to say it was something and then have it not happen. She said, but now it's just gone on so long. I'm telling everybody what's gone. I had one man who owns a carpet cleaning business who, who is my age. He's, he's a little bit younger, but right there at 50. And his knees, imagine doing that job for 30 plus years. You know, you wear yourself out. His knees and his ankles were, were cartilage. And it was just, I mean, he was breaking down. He stood up when I said, would you be healed? If you were here last week, I just asked the question, would you be healed? I was overwhelmed with the number of people who stood just for a simple prayer. The guy gets healed on the spot and he goes back and he's testifying, no more pain in his knees or in his ankles. And I've had reports like that all week long. So here's what I want to do. We're starting a brand new series first weekend in January and it's called Believe. 
We're going to talk about the miracles from Mark 4, 5, and 6. I shot them on the Sea of Galilee, right in the vicinity there. They're going to be a setup for about five minutes. We'll talk about the miracle. We'll show the video, and then I'll teach live. But I want to use some of these testimonies to help. How many of you know testimonies help people believe things? God uses testimonies. So on our webpage, www.jfc.org, on our webpage is just simply a place, if God has touched your life, would you go there and tell us what God has done? And if you don't have access to a computer, then out there in the foyer at all of our locations is a table with cards on it where you can just write down what God has done. What we would like to do is to get those and then to tell people what God is doing in your life. Would you help us with that? If God has done that for you or he ends up doing that for you, would you take a moment and do that? It would be so helpful and it would be such a blessing to us. And I think you'll see the benefit of it when we jump into that series just in a couple of weeks from right now. Well, let me jump into this and uh, pick up um, what I want to talk about tonight. Last week, it was kind of a two-part message where we're talking about generosity. Would you agree with me? Christmas is a wonderful time to talk about generosity. I mentioned that when you look at the very idea, God so loved that he what? He gave. God is the author of generosity. Now, some of you are sitting out there right now. Maybe you're thinking, oh gosh, they use all these little kids to get us to come to church so they can talk about money. No, that's not, that is not what I'm doing. Okay, I promise you. In fact, those who know me, I'm the founding pastor of the church. I've been here 14 years. The most difficult subject I have to talk about is money. I'm not comfortable with it. I, I feel like the church has blown it so bad in, in talking about money that they've turned so many people away that we downplay it here, don't we? Yes. I mean, we never talk about it. So this message, when I talk about generosity, generosity is way more than money. Do you agree with that statement? You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your attitude. You can be generous with, with, you can be generous with many, many things, not just money. But I want to talk about a spirit of generosity. I want to talk about how God uses generosity. So I'm going to use a little more of this story about how I got to Israel. Now, here's, here's a wonderful thing that's been presented to me uh, in, in this church. I think as a pastor, if you are, uh, if you try your best to be upfront and to be transparent and to be open and to, and to not... Um, you know, to, to not be a phony and, and to not be a, uh, I want to use the word to not be a hypocrite, but I think all of us at, at some level at times are hypocrites. You know, we, anybody in here ever have a belief and a habit that don't line up with each other? Nobody. Wow. That's terrific. Only the pastor's got his hand in there. Everybody else say, nope, gotcha, boy. Way to go. Say it one more time. Anybody in here got a belief and a habit that never quite line up with each other? Okay. So we all, at some level, find ourselves to be a little hypocrite. But if, if the person who's trying, who's trying to be open and trying to be honest enough, for, okay, here's what I have found that's happened. After 14 years, I have built an incredible uh, ability. People trust me. When I stand up here and I talk, people trust me. In fact, I had to be very careful what I say because people quote to me exactly what I say. They're, they're like my children in many ways. And I don't know how it is at your house, but if I mention anything about money with my kids, my kids can, they can't remember to get up at any particular time. But if I mention how much money I'm going to give them, they know to the second when that is supposed to happen. Anybody else got kids like that right there? It's the most amazing thing. I have to be careful with what I say because I have built 
a, a, a reputation where people, they trust that and, and they, they trust me. All right, so here's what's happened for me. I've got families in this church who have come to me and said to me, Pastor, if you have projects, if you have needs, if you, if you know of a family who is struggling, if, if there is a situation and, and, and you need resource, we have resource, let us know and we will help you complete projects. And I, I have had, I have, that is a wonderful position for me to be in because I'm able to be a conduit to see God do a lot of really cool things. I remember we had a family one time who lost their, their son and they did not have the means even for the funeral. And I had had a man, this was the most amazing thing, I'd had a man not, not two weeks before that come to me and say to me, if you ever have a family in any type of a situation where, where they don't have the means to, to feed their family or to take care of their family, let us know. I went to that man and I said, listen, they've lost their child and they can't afford the funeral. That family paid for the entire funeral. I mean, I've had, the, I've had the means to be able to do some of the neatest things in the world. Well, so I have this opportunity where these families have come to me and said, Pastor, if you ever have this, let us know. Well, I, I felt like the Lord told me, go to Israel, shoot this video. I'm going to use it in a really remarkable way. So I went to three families in our church. And I, I just said to them, listen, I don't want to pull this out of our budget. I didn't plan on it. It's something that I felt like God just dropped into my heart. Uh, would you be willing to help me with this project? And in, it, listen, in literally about 10 minutes... I was able to raise all of the money that was necessary to be able to do this trip because that's, that, listen, the generosity is a, what, when generosity is done right in a church, do you agree with me? It can be a wonderful thing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic thing. So I, I, I was able to do this. Now, let me, let me try to connect a thought and something that God showed me here that I think is really cool. I think generosity is one of the keys to seeing the supernatural happen in your life. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. So I have, I have these folks who, who very generously give the money for me to be able to do this trip. They, through their generosity, I end up getting healed. But then I stand up and I talk about me being healed. And then at least another hundred people have been healed based on their generosity. And by the time, I want you to listen to what I'm saying. By the time we get done with this in the beginning of February, after we've taught this message on belief, I'm believing right now we'll see 500 or 1,000 people who have been touched in a supernatural way based on three families who have been generous who are going to bless our entire church. Yes. And, and now, now, scripturally, okay, so I'm standing up just saying, okay, sounds good. But scripturally, Detlef, can I prove that scripturally? Because that, it really doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks about it. So let me take you, I think this is really interesting, Acts chapter 10, we're going to look at two different lives. One is Cornelius, and the other one is Peter. Their stories, uh, their, their stories are symbiotic. They, they, they are joined together. One is having an experience over here, one is having an experience over here, but the two things are about to be joined together in a really marvelous way. So Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 6 reads this way, at Caesarea... There was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now remember, Israel was underneath the boot of Rome at that time. Rome, basically all around the Mediterranean, Rome was the power of the world during that time. And Rome occupied Israel. 
So we're just picking up the story of an Italian. He's a commander, but he happened to be a righteous man. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave, what is that word? I know it hurts to say it. Let's try it one more time. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Now, what did I just say? I think generosity opens our lives to the supernatural. This guy has a supernatural vision, but the Bible takes the time to explain what kind of a guy he was. He wasn't just a guy who threw his money around. The Bible mentions two things in particular. He was God-fearing and he was generous. God-fearing and generous. A devout person. And all of a sudden he has a vision. Again, I'll make the statement. I think generosity opens up the supernatural in people's lives. Can you see that right here? Okay, let's move on a little bit further. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. I want to read it one more time. Your prayers... And your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is also called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. Now let's pick up the story. This is now Peter who at the same time has been praying. And this is what happens in Peter's life. So this is Acts chapter 10 verse 9. At about noon the following day... As they were on their journey. So these are the men that are being sent down to get Peter from Cornelius. At about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter answered, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, let me just comment very quickly. Here's what's going on here. Peter, as a Jew, kept the dietary customs or he was kosher. He was told you can't eat certain things. You can't touch certain things. You can't even be around certain things as a Jew. He has this vision where this sheet is let down from heaven. And on the sheet are all the things that as a Jew, he's not supposed to eat. God then tells him, get up, kill these things and eat them. Wow, what a reaction from the... You have to admit, it's a weird vision of nothing else. Some of you are like, well, is it a vision about food? Absolutely not. Here's the revelation. God is opening up the gospel to the Gentiles at this point, and Peter is being called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Cornelius was a Roman, not a Jew. Peter was not allowed to even go to Cornelius' house Because of the Jewish custom, he couldn't even, not only could he not go there, he wasn't even allowed to talk to the guy. God has given Cornelius a vision because of his generosity and his prayers to go get Peter. 
He gives Peter a vision of the gospel being opened up. It wasn't about food. What God was saying from that point, remember, only Jews were a part of the covenant of God. But under the new covenant, God opened up the gospel to whosoever will may come. So God gives Peter the vision when the sheet's lowered. It's not about the animals that are on it. What God is telling Peter is what I call clean, don't you dare call impure. God is calling mankind because of the work of Christ clean. So Peter leaves with those men. He goes up to Cornelius's house. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius. All of Cornelius' house gets saved, even his servants, and he baptizes everyone. And it's the first recorded time that the gospel is preached in a large way to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles come in, and it's the opening of the gospel to the rest of the world. I submit to you, it was the generosity of one man that allowed God to bring forth the message of reconciliation of the world. It began with generosity. Yes or no? And it's a clear message. Do you see that? All right, now, now let me take that message. Let's, let's have some fun with it. I put down under, under, the, uh, the, the, uh, under whatever this word is right here that I can't read because it's, my eyes are, need to be healed. Let me see what it says. Uh, what does it? Transition. Transition. I put down the word generous under the note right there. I, I recently taught, in fact, it was just this last week, um, I taught a group of about, let me think, may, right around 100, uh, 100, 100 young, young pastors. Um, it was just a leadership training thing, and, and I, I had some fun in teaching, and, and I, I thought I would just, I would throw this out because it fit the message. I, I recently just taught on the law of legacy, and, and this is what I said to a bunch of young, young ministers, young people trying to move into ministry. Some were, some were a little older than, than that, but most of them were younger. Um, I, I, here's, what I, here's what I taught. Uh, uh, someday, people will summarize your life at your funeral in a single sentence. I want you to think about this. At some point, I recognize, I recognize when it comes to the idea of death, uh, we all know that, that it's going to happen. But like here, we, we like to push that off. Yes or no? Some of you are like, if I don't do anything, I won't die, right? You're, look, this is life and no one gets out alive. Let's try this one more time. We all know it's going to come our way, but we, we push that off as far as we can. We don't like to think about it. Don't talk about it. But we know it's out there. So I just mentioned, look, at some point at your funeral, your life, I, I do a lot of them. So I know your life is going to be summarized in a single sentence. So what do you want said about yourself? Because you can't, you can't, the day you die, change everything. Okay, you guys think, think about that. Let me come over here. So this guy's, read my lip. You can't, on the day you die, change everything. Do you agree with that statement? I'll give you, I'll give you an example of this. Um, b- both of my girls... Uh, my oldest sits right here. Um, she, she is, she, she's, I can't even begin to tell you how much pride I have in my daughter and what I think about her. But I remember several years ago when, when she, she had graduated, she uh, had wanted to go to uh, Youth with a Mission. She had saved her money. She had, 
She had made it possible to get herself there. Her mother and I blessed her. Uh, she went to Kona, Hawaii. Um, I took her there, and I remember it was, it was my firstborn. It was my girl. She was leaving my house, it, and there were two distinct things going on. There was the daughter who was leaving this way. Can't wait to get out of here. And there was the dad who was going this way. Come back here. Come back here. So my heart was breaking because my daughter was leaving. And I remember after, after I, I got her settled, I went to the airport, I got on the airplane, I turned my face to, I had a, had a window seat, I turned my face to the window, and I couldn't stop the tears coming down. And I didn't want anybody to ask me. I was embarrassed. I just, I just, it, everything was there. And I came back and our church was little tiny. We were meeting in a storefront. There was maybe a hundred people there. And I was telling that story of just how much I loved her and what it was like for my firstborn to leave my house. And this man walked up to me right after the service. And this is what he said. He said, John, I recently bought, brought my daughter to college. And he said, I had the exact opposite experience. He said, we parted company and there were no tears. There were no emotions. There was nothing. He said, why is that? And I said, here's the difference. I said, sir, you can't make happen what I said happen in one afternoon. It took a lifetime to make that happen. Did you hear me? You can't suddenly try to create something that's not real. It's, it's, it's on those days when it's summarized that you find out what it was made of. Yes or no? Our, our, my youngest daughter now, in two weeks, is about to be married. And this morning, I'm watching. Dang it. I'm watching her in the kitchen. And every morning, I'm having this. Okay, take this in. Get the mental picture. See what she, remember these days. These days are about to change. And I'm just watching her. And I don't want to, you know, she's having a time of her life. She's about to get married. I don't want to tell her Anything. So I'm just watching her and she looks up. She says, what are you watching? I said, I'm watching. My heart. Getting ready to walk out the door. And I tell her, it has been such a pleasure to raise you. You have always been my little buddy. She would get up at nighttime when everybody else was asleep, and her and I would go down and we'd raid the refrigerator together. <laughs> she's bubbly and she's fun. And I've always had this relationship with her, and I got to tell her how much I love her, how proud I am, and how happy I am that she's getting married, and that I wouldn't have her marry. We love JJ, and we're so happy. And I prayed for this day. All moms and dads want this to happen for their kids. We're so happy for you. But my heart at the same time, things are about to change and they're never going to be the same again. And you are my little girl. And here's what I'm saying to you. You only feel that way. You can't suddenly make those feelings happen if it hadn't been that way. Come on, does anybody know what I'm saying right now? Do you hear me? Okay, let me connect you with a thought. This is very important. Very important. The law of legacy works this way. Someday people will summarize your life in a single sentence. My advice to you is live the legacy 
you want to leave behind now. You don't wait until the day before to try to change it. You don't wait until a week before it's all said and done to try to make up for years. You choose today how it's going to look and you begin to live that right now. For instance, I will give you three things that I want my life to be summarized by and that I think you can say right now, it's true. I want people to say he's generous. I... This is not a bragging thing, but I try to live the most generous life I know how to live. I try to give as freely as I know how to give. I will not stand up here and tell the stories because it would only take away from of what. But whenever I have the opportunity to give, staff, yes or no? I had to set a policy a couple of weeks ago. It was, it was our maternity policy. Now, I'm way past that. <laughs> way past that. So it didn't affect me. It wasn't, unless we get another miracle, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not praying for that miracle at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> done with that. Been there, done that. I'm poor. Here's, here's, <laughs> here's the deal. We're, we're trying to sit there and say, okay, what's, what should this policy look like? And what do we, what do we want to give? And, and here's, here's what I, I was praying about it. And I felt like this is what the Lord told me. And so this is what I put into place as a maternity policy. I feel like the world today so does not respect little ones and does not encourage moms and dads. To, they, they, in fact, we're actually at a negative birth rate. The United States just entered into a negative birth rate. Did you know that? We just entered into a negative birth rate. Here's what I wanted to say with our policy. If you want to have a baby, we encourage you have a baby. So I gave two months fully paid off. Go. Go. And then we gave... For the dads to be able to be off too. Not the two months. <laughs> yes. Someone like Amy and Marcus wouldn't work for three years. They'd be... <laughs> but I wanted to say to them, if you want, we want you to have a family. We believe in the family. Therefore, we will make the statement that in my mind, it, it's the opportunity for me to be generous. And some of you are like, well, I don't have that. So if you don't have it, we shouldn't have it, right? That's wrong. If it's within our power to do good, let's do good. Does that make sense? So, man, I, I try to leave the legacy, be as generous as possible. How about this? I want it summarized of my life. He was passionate about God. Yes or no, I am passionate about that. Yes. You can say a lot of things about me. You can dislike me. You can argue with me. You can, you can debate me, do whatever. But you can't say I wasn't passionate about what I believe. And last but not least, I want it to be summarized that he loved his wife and he loved his family. Yes or no? Yes. You can see it in everything that I do. You build your legacy. You can't build it a week before you go. It doesn't work that way. 
And though this isn't someone standing up here like talk, so you're going, well, why don't I have that in my life? Listen to me. Here's the wonderful thing about the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. It doesn't change your past. It changes your future. We can't erase what happened in the past, but the power of the gospel is it can change where you're going in the future. I speak to you, generosity has a way of opening up the supernatural in your life. I put down, there are two extremes when it comes to money that you'll see in the world, especially in the church. There's the prosperity or the poverty gospel. The prosperity one is the one that you see on TV where they talk funny. (laughs) Every one of them talk funny about money, honey. They dress funny and they, they, they do funny things with money. And they get into prosperity. And, and their gospel in a nutshell is this. God wants you to be rich. And the measure of their spiritual experience is whatever they're checked. They confuse their self-worth with their net worth. You hear me? And that is, is, that is in as much error as the people who teach poverty is the way to be close to God. The Bible says poverty is a curse. Yes or no? It is somewhere in the middle is the balance of where God wants us. So I wrote down, look, just quickly, let me just give you five quick things that I have learned to how to handle money. Number one, get it honestly. Yes or no? That's an easy one. Get it honestly. How about this? Give it generously. I wish I would have heard as big an amen on that one as I did on the first one. But I'll move right along. Hey, I love you. Number three, multiply it faithfully. Multiply it faithfully. Now, let me just, man, I I don't have enough time. I'll run out of time. Not always. Right now, I've got two kids in college, one about to get married. We're multiplying the wrong way. God is my witness. I, you, you know, you build, build, save, 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 save. And then all of a sudden, it starts multiplying the other way. Okay, so that happens, right? The econ- Anybody been affected by this economy? Three of us. <laughs> Three people have been affected by a worldwide downturn in our church. Thank you, Lord, for this being the open spout of heaven in all of the world. I... <laughs> Why? <laughs> You know, people go like, preachers, all they talk about is money. How come we never say General Motors, all they talk about is money? I'm not asking for your, I'm just, just, it's okay to laugh. Have fun with this. Multiply it faithfully. How about this? Use it effectively. Pinpoint it in places. Give it, uh, uh, you know, right now we've got, God, I look for places for God to connect me. If I go over my time, are you going to be okay? Yeah. Will you give me five extra minutes? Just five. You know what five minutes means to a preacher? Nothing. Not one thing. Zero. Nothing. I pro- it will. I look for places for God to connect me to where I can, I can pinpoint it. So we've got a bunch of kids in, in Peru right now. And uh, our partner, Larry Good, is down there. And, and Rick Davis Quarter down there. And these two men have given their lives to minister to throwaway children. And we... we without any hesitation, man, we want to, 
we want to pump money into those places and bless those places. You remember a couple of years ago when I was riding motorcycles, I, I, the opportunity to take the Harley that I had and, and to auction it off. And this church was so generous that they, they paid basically, um, I, I don't remember the exact amount, but it was over $50,000 for a motorcycle that wasn't worth near that so that all that money could end up with a bunch of orphans down in South America. How fun is it doing things like that? And if you're like, well, that doesn't sound very fun to me. I... <laughs> you're probably the most perverted of all of us. Here's the, that's bad, but I'm just, just going to say it. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. Number five, how about this? Get it honestly, give it generously, multiply it faithfully, use it effectively. How about this? Enjoy it carefully or else it'll destroy you. Money is one of those things. It's amoral in and of, it's not evil or good by itself, but it can be used for evil or good by itself. Does that make sense? Greg, you are one of my best friends in the world. I want to ask you a question right now. I know how faithful you are. I mean, no embarrassment to you. I did not ask your permission to do this, but I'm going to ask you to judge this message right now, am I telling the truth? Right I am right on. I do not need to be embarrassed about what I'm teaching, do I? I can be bold with this message, can't I? Thank you. Here's what I know to be true. Listen to me. Generosity breaks the bondage to money and the fear of money. Generosity breaks the bondage to the fear and the control of money. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25 says this, There is one person who gives freely, yet gains even more, and another who withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be, what's the word? Do you believe that scripture right there? Okay, now listen. I have no project. I'm not taking an offering. I'm not asking for anything. I'm teaching straight up. You take the message and whatever God tells you to do with the message, that's what you do. Is that fair? Is that, is that fair? Okay. So there's no, there's no, I'm not contriving anything, twisting anything or asking for anything at all. All I'm doing is submitting it to you. Hear from the Holy Spirit. Do whatever God tells you to do with the idea of generosity. That fair. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity to teach the Word of God. Lord, I recognize on a night like tonight, gosh, we go from this place to that place, and oh, it's all over. But God, I believe very much that you have something so supernatural that you want to unlock in our church, and something so supernatural that you're doing. Generosity is a key to that thing. When we look at the Christmas message, the message is, God so loved that he gave. We are most like our Father when we act like our Father. Lord, this message is not about money. This message is about generosity. And what would you be speaking to people tonight to do in order to be generous? How can we be generous with the world around us? How can we be generous with our prayers? How can we be generous with our time? How can we be generous with our spouse? How can we be generous with our children? How can we be generous with our husbands? How can we be generous with our neighbor? How can we, how can we be like you, Father? God, would you speak that to us tonight? Would you make that clear? 
God, would you help us to understand? And then, Lord, here's what I pray. I pray for great boldness and bravery to do what you tell us to do tonight. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Would you stand to your feet as our worship pastors come and they close our service out? We invite you to generously enjoy communion tonight. Use the crosses if you need them. Prayer people are here if you need them. Worship. Enjoy the generosity of the fellowship of Jubilee tonight. Let his generosity impact your heart.